This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Something that I do still want to do because it's so fucking funny is the the Kickstarter for us to stay in a haunted hotel. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We we yeah, we were like the, the plan was to do a Kickstarter that is for like a, a room investigation of a haunted hotel room and like the initial goal would you know be whatever it is for one night at the hotel and then we would add on every amenity that the hotel had to offer so like a spa investigation a room service investigation that each of the stretch goals was just a, another like upgrade <laughs> <laughs> presidential suite investigation <laughs> Bag check investigation. Yeah, which we, eventually we would upgrade to like, because there is a very haunted hotel here in Chicago, and like the normal rooms are haunted, but like there is the a room ro- that, that like like if you got like the presidential suite, that's not supposed to be one of the haunted rooms. So like you'd be able to escalate the Kickstarter to a point where we're not even investigating a haunted room anymore. We're just staying in a nice hotel room. <laughs> that's the whole bit. Uh, Travis, you're sort of lost in like this state that edges between dreams and consciousness, and you see Dref in front of you. Unfortunately, where we are, until you can connect with and move the body as the captain has become familiar with, uh, I am afraid, Travis, that it is you who must take the reins of the body in order to maintain a sense of your spiritual form and death. Uh, 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 the first and most important thing is one must have a will to live. Can you think of something that keeps you alive? A, 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 a thing to fight for? Well... Someone from my past who I thought was gone is back. Travis, that's wonderful. I, I, I need you to focus your being on that. Focus all of yourself. You think of Margaret. As you do, there is a flicker that you feel. As though your spirit is a gentle flame that has has caught on. And the void that you are in 
there is nothing to reflect the light, but you can tell that there is light in it where there was not before. You see the the form of Dref in front of you. Hold on to that precious thing, and I will show you the way. I will show you what I have learned. And Dref's hands reach out towards you, Travis. And this very much reflects the scene that we saw when Dref passed away the first time of Dref reaching towards the robed and hooded figure who was stabbing him and taking his life. And in this, we feel you enter the kind of spiritual mind palace that Oromar had established. And that I will turn over to Nathan. You feel the room. You feel the space of the room. But there's no spider threats. The cords that Oromar was using to manipulate the body in fine detail. And then you slowly realize where those spider strings must have come from. Imagine for a moment the like hair on your arms and like a almost static sensation that makes them stand on end and then those hairs start to pull away elongate from your body and stretch far into the space the sense around your body extending to slowly fill a space larger than yourself and we actually see these thin threads pull away from the soul of Travis Matago as they intertwine and weave and knot across the entire crumbling mansion of Oromar Vale's body. Oh, that, and this, that sounds like some like Junji Ito. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 we can see like in these threads Travis these have been knotted and woven and you can tell by different hands some of these programs these movements are Dreff's handiwork and there is a progression of some of it being very rough and rudimentary and slowly bleeding into scientific and fastidious as Dref inventing the art of necromancy, inventing moving a body that is still slowly developed to be more robust and meticulous in his discovery. And that work was then later picked up by the brilliant mind of Oromar Vale who reverse engineered it, who discovered his own forms and created movements according to his own needs. The work of two brilliant once-in-a-generation minds have come together in this empty, hollow mansion that is the body. And you now see hundreds of thousands of operations in front of you little delicate things that are all necessary to preserve this body, to make it move, to give it the appearance of something that lives. Well, I want to try and move. Yeah. I think there's, there's like the awareness of like approaching these things. And like one of these 
threads, like wiggles a little bit, like vibrates. Is the captain's body lying down right now? No, it is not. The captain's body is suspended, held fast to a rocky outcropping (sighs) by a lattice of vines. Well, this is great. I wanted to, uh, does he have the sword on him? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he, he, he must have his sword to decide, yeah. I want to try and grab the sword and cut myself down. I'm just going to... I'm going to go for it. And I don't think it's going to work out well. But if if he's somewhere shitting in my coat... <laughs> roll, roll a divine check. <laughs> How hard? What bizarre motivation. And I consider this a personal favor. Yeah, that's going to be three failures. But also three advantages. So you reach for the first collection of cords that you can find and you give them a tug. And what happens is light fills your world and vision as Oromar's eyes open. And also, unbeknownst to you, the other like massive cords that you pulled on are your lungs and vocal cords because these were what Oromar has been working on. Oromar slowly stitching together speech for for himself again. You give a tug and we can see like in this lattice of green vines that bind Oromar to this rock, uh, his eyes and mouth suddenly pop open and he screams. To combine your advantage from earlier as you grabbed the helm of this necromancy with your disadvantages from now, faintly beneath the sound of your screaming, you can hear into the distance in the forest a familiar voice calling. Margaret calls to you. We cut away to Gable. Gable is running through the forest. This, I believe, was like kind of flooded area of like pure, clean water. Um, so I think now, like, as you're running away from it, you're you're in more muddy territory. Uh, the, the groves of trees are, are thick around you, though. And it's really hard to navigate. Even though it is bright, clear day, there is enough light filtering through the leaves that it's not over heavily shaded. It's just confusing. So disorienting. I, I think people, generally speaking, are really unfamiliar walking through forests. Uh, it's a thing that you don't do casually in the world of Sphere. And Gable, you have navigated a forest before, at least once, when you went to an Illimad table that you shared with Travis. But now, you know, you have you have a mission driving. You can hear Jonnet calling in the distance. Gable knows enough to know you can't panic, you can't run, because that is what the forest will take advantage of. So you have to be single-minded, focusing only on the task ahead but you mustn't panic. So they're walking very deliberately in what I assume is kind of boggy, wet, smelly water. You know, I think it's not actually smelly, but it is like, you know, boggy. 
hard enough to walk in that, like, your shoes come off, that kind of thing. Yeah. And just finally taking in the reality of the situation. Like, I was here. I was in one place, and now I am not in a different place. So there is a magic happening that is that I can't identify that is frightening and is powerful enough to have transported me someplace else. So that is the, the main focus. But trying to not let that take that in too much out of hope of, okay, we just need to find each other and then we'll figure it out. John it? John it? John it. Stay still. Stay still. I can't move. Okay. Keep talking. Keep talking. I'm coming to you. Where are we? I don't know. I don't know. But you keep on talking. Just say say a, a recipe, say something that you've memorized. Just keep on talking and I will be there sh- I will be there very quickly. Okay. Who is your family? Mm-hmm. Who are your crewmates? <laughs> Keep on going. There's lots of them. My arm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't feel my arm, Gable. All right. Okay. It's fine. Just keep on talking. I'll be there soon. Okay. And Tyler, I want to know where does Gable find Jonathan? And, you know, how, how, how does he look? I think that there's, there's, a, there's a clearing in the sense that, like, for, like, a small patch of, of, you know, 10, 12 feet, there isn't, like, the, like, a tree growing directly up. But it's, like, a very, like, overgrown, cleared out patch. And, like, I think when you walk into it, you see Jonnet, like, sort of laying down, kneeling down on the ground. And you see that his right arm is kind of like laying limp, dangling down to the ground. It's touching the ground, and it looks like where it's touching the ground, so much, like, nature and, like, foliage and vines have, like, been very quickly creeping up his arm. The moment Gable sees this, uh, they they just run up and take out their sword and try to cut those vines immediately. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, let's have you roll an attack. It's going to be of average difficulty. With my what? This is, I mean, how are you attacking? Uh, it's up to you. I mean, it would probably melee? it would probably be melee. Yeah. If you're using a sword, it's melee. Yeah. Um, so. Melee. And it's heavy because it's my big friend. Ah, okay. So that's important. You're yeah. pulling out your great sword yeah. right away. Cool. Uh, one success and two threats. Yeah. What I think happens, like, you, you pull out immediately, you, you target the brush that is under, you know, Jonnet's arm, uh, these vines. Like, it's a very clean cut. You, you cut away these vines. His hand looks like it's free. But the threat, I, I think is there is like blood coming out of the vines almost like it's it's hard for you to know mm-hmm. uh the forests have 
really weird stuff in them. When you navigated to the Queen's Glade for the first time, you saw things that you'd never saw outside of that place. And, you know, it's almost as though they were drinking his blood. Johnny? Uh, Are you hurt? In pain? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I mean, it hurts so bad. I, I was just, I tripped and I fell and I think I, I landed on a root and 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 the root just like grabbed me and then it, it, it kept moving up. Gable, do okay, some, please do we, something. We need to keep moving. Can you move right now, or do I, I need to help you move? Help me to do your magic, please. All right. Okay. Is it kind of obvious that he won't be able to? get up yeah he he looks in a bad way you know you have no idea how much blood he might have lost i'm trying to decide would this be magic or would i just try to do a medicine check because i think i might know enough like magic might draw attention yeah uh, you know that 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 is that is your call um i i could see either being i will do a medicine check because i think i'm getting the feeling that there's enough magic going on that i don't necessarily want to draw attention interesting okay cool <laughs> oh no! Wait. Okay, that is one failure and one threat. Yeah, the, there are still vines attached to his arm, mm-hmm. and like you know, you try to cut them away, and it feels like more blood is coming out, and you're you're left like just kind of having to hastily bandage this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's gotten to the point where it's like, okay, well, whatever medical knowledge that you have. It, it's not enough right now. You need to get him to someone who knows even more. Okay. As you're attempting to patch him up, Jonnet has been like grabbing at your clothes. Like he's wincing in more pain. And eventually he's just like, ah, up. stop, stop, stop. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Listen to me. And and he's, he like sort of like grabs at maybe your collar and like, and is trying to make like eye contact with you. And his eyes are kind of like, a little darty, but he's trying his best to, like, hold eye contact with you. G- Gable. <laughs> he's here. He's here, Gable. Who is here? Travis is gone, and I, and I think he's going after him, but it, the captain, he, he's, he's trying to fight him off, and, and I got scared, and, and I just tried to fall, run away, and... Who is he? <sighs> it's Tiberius! Jonnet, that is impossible. It's... I, I saw what I saw already. It was either Tiberius or, or someone who looks like Tiberius, okay? I just... Okay. I, I right. saw what I saw and... It, but I'm not... I'm not... I shouldn't get out of here, okay? Get, and uh, he starts to, like, maybe trail off and his eyes go to the ground. <laughs> Pause. I, I hit print on uh, my character sheet Hours ago, and it was a fucking hour ago, right and it now. just popped up. <laughs> like, Would you like That's to print? So funny. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's fucking stupid. Um, okay. Um, his eyes trail to the ground, and his cable. You need to go. You need to get out of here. Okay. No. Okay. no. We're both going to go. We're no, both going no, to go. No. No. Gable, listen to me. All right. You run. Okay? I'll stand and I'll fight Tiberius. You run. All right. That is. Gable's just gonna pick John it up. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, get up. 
<laughs> and and, and walk. like you pick him up, and then like his head just kind of like slumps on your shoulder immediately. It's like, no, Gable, you need to run. I can you... run. I can run with you. We've done it before. I've, I've carried you on piggyback ever since I've known you. No, but Gable, you need to hide. All right, you need to hide, Gable. You're so good at hiding. You just need to hide. Gable. I need you to make a perception check, Liz. This is hard. <laughs> My perception is so bad. Yeah, it's hard, and I'm going to give you a black die as well, uh, because high-intensity situation right now. Oh, oh, my God. My, oh, boy, my perception. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Also, this angle of Liz just scrambling for dice. (laughs) God, that could have gone so much better. That's a failure and a threat. Oh, Oh, boy. Yeah, the chaos of this scene is hard to parse through. You're worried about Jonnet. He was bleeding quite a lot. Um, you know, you can feel, I think, the bandage, the hasty bandage that, that you put together, like soaking through as you are looking around for figuring out where you're trying to go. You're trying to process the fact that he said Tiberius is here. Mm-hmm. You're trying to process the fact that he said Travis is gone. There is so much bearing down on you right now that you, you don't take a moment to think about Jonnet and what it feels like to pick Jonnet up and carry him. But the faintest like prickle of like a chill enters as he says those words and his voice changes just a little bit. Cable. And I think as this is happening, Jonnet is... Like, his head is still on your shoulder. He's so close to your ear. And, like, he's, like, his his booming voice from before is now just getting, like, quieter and quieter. Cable, you're so good at hiding. Cable, you hid from the crew when the captain died. Cable, you hid. Cable, Cable, you hid from Hildred when she tried to embrace you. Cable, Cable, hide. Cable. You hid from the mariner, the butcher, and all the rest who deal misery and death. Gable, Gable, you hid from the sovereign, letting him cast down hundreds and smite thousands more. Gable, Gable, you're hiding from the morning store right now. Oh, God. Gable drops Jonnet. You drop Jonnet to the ground. There is an oddly hollow thunk as... You feel the world around you darken. You feel darkness behind you. And you hear a familiar voice. Well, well, well. If it isn't the person who struck me down. What do I see? You turn around and you see a bare wisp of a figure dressed in a gray cloak. And it has the face of Tiberius Youngblood. It is, like, fades away as you look down, like, closer to its legs, but it has a skeletal frame and a hand that is just bare bone clutching a stone knife. Oh, I look back at Jonnet. Jonnet looks extremely pale right now. Does look like Jonnet, 
there's a lot to process right now. It sounds like Jonnet, but something being very off about it. Gable. Gable, just hide. Gable, please. You know what... I removed you from this world. There was nothing left of you. And that's all I needed. The figure rushes towards you. And let's cut over to Jonnet. <laughs> hey, heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the midroll. I sincerely hope everyone enjoyed their holiday and enjoyed our special presentation over what would normally be our holiday break. I once again have to thank Brendan Hillman for writing our story for that presentation, Forgotten Roots. If you haven't listened to it yet, head back and check it out. It is so much fun. Now, I know I said we'd have a little episode explaining the new ads that are coming onto the campaign feed, and we will, but they're going to come this week. I simply had too much to do over the Thanksgiving holiday to get that out. But if all goes according to plan, you will have it soon. Then we will take the full leap to our new hosting service with our ads. And with that, we're going to be starting an exciting project of having a Skyjacks re-listening drive. For those of you who want to support the show but cannot support us by supporting us on Patreon, once the ads are live, simply re-listening to Skyjacks is going to get us money from advertisers. And we'll be organizing some listen events and maybe discussions over on the OneShot Twitch stream. Once again, I want to thank all of our backers on Patreon for supporting us. You have helped make this show what it is, and I am so excited to usher it into a new era. Thanks again to everyone who signed up already, and everyone who's going to sign up in the future. Now before we get back to the show, I want to mention one more thing. Currently, the One Shot podcast is auditioning for a new host. Uh, yes, you heard that right. That is the One Shot podcast, uh, the show that started this network and helped make campaign a, a thing. And that is a show that I host. I am, in 2023, going to step down as host of One Shot and make way for a new host to bring the show into a new era. And you, or someone you know, could be that host. Linked in the show notes of this week's episode is a document describing the job, what our requirements and ideal candidate might be, and instructions on how to apply yourself. So if you feel like you, or someone you know, could host one shot, make sure you check out that document and get your application in. The application period closes on December 20th, and after that point we begin the formal audition process. Don't hold yourself back, read the document, put your materials together, and apply. I want you to. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now then, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. Jonnet, you are elsewhere in the wood. So you were, like, confined. Mm-hmm. You, you tried to leave this place, and you were only able to re-enter it. Jonnet kind of remembers that, like, just in general, like, growing up, he's stored things underneath his 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 bed for years. And I think, like, he remembers that he's got, like, old adventuring gear that, like, he's, you know, been given, found new versions of destroyed and like there's one like he remembers a like a compass that he once had and like he just like reaches under his bed to see if the bed itself is the only thing that's now made it into like this new space or if there's anything else that uh that might be in there with him Here's the thing that I'll rule. If it is something that you would have kept between the mattress and the bed frame, then it is there. If it was something underneath the bed itself, it is not. In my brain, when I just, like, mimed the the the, the action, I was, like, patting the underneath of the bed. Ah, oh, shoot. <laughs> um, okay, and so uh, it's nothing, nothing, nothing. Is his own pack there? It's... Anything that was on your bed, I think, is okay. there. Gotcha. Well, in this case, I think, like, Jonnet's going to, like, try to boost his own, like, senses, his magic. And uh, he's going to go to the, the classic, we're going to do some blood magic. So he's going to try to, like, like, hone in, center himself. And then, like, he just, like pulls up uh, his thumb and then like he just like takes a bite out of the the his thumb to get some blood Oof. to try and boost his uh, his own sensibilities and like be able senses and uh, yeah I assume okay. some kind of blue dye situation <laughs> yeah yeah I like this a lot so so this is I, I'm gonna this is an arcane check that will provide sort of perception results to it. So so make an arcane against hard. Three purple dice. Yeah. Okay, so that is going to be one success. Oh, one success and one advantage. Perfect. So you cast this spell and open your eyes. And look around at the world around you. And everything you know, is coming. Like the thing is when you do a spell to enhance your senses, increase your, your, the different types of perception available to you, 
Usually the world looks markedly different. Colors are more bright and vivid. Uh, smells are stronger. Sounds, you know, can, can have, have more uh, intricacy to them. Smells, like, you, you can smell things that, you know, so, sort of the way animals smell, where you can smell things that used to be here and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. When you do this right now, it is though the world does not change at all. And that is odd to you. That's so weird. You can see, however, the lines and pathways of the universe, the various ways you may go, and you can see, you know, different versions of yourself like wandering around this glade. Uh, it, it almost looks like uh, kind of like a, a Celtic knot type thing of like you walking out of this place only to walk back in, mm-hmm. like how tight it confines you. <laughs> but I, the, I think the idea of Jonnet doing this, seeing of different versions of himself and then seeing like one like sort of John, like see through Jonnet like attempt to walk out of the this clearing and then you just like walks back in and like the see-through Jonnet looks at regular Jonnet and just gives a shrug like oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. yeah yeah you, you you see this exploration uh, of the, the, these various Jonnets and how they like kind of really define everything about the area that you're in and then you see one path one path that moves forward and moves out. The strange thing about it is it passes directly through the trunk of a thick tree. That Jonnet just walks right into a solid thing and keeps moving. We hold on to the tree. It's like we're pulling back and then we like reverse on Jonnet and then behind Jonnet we have like like four or five other small Jonnets that are just like also, like, spectral Jonnets, and then they just sort of walk into our real Jonnet, and then he sort of takes a step or two towards the, the tree. And I guess I'll, I'll roll a perception to see if there's anything crazy about this tree. Yeah, um, I want you to upgrade your perception twice because of your spell. Okay. Oh, and be sure to uh, add the strain from casting yeah. the spell in the first place. Yeah. And then what am I going to roll against? I'm going to say this is also hard. That makes sense. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, that's not going to happen. Um, so uh, we've got one... F- all right. Yeah, one failure and one threat. Moving into this tree is one of the most terrifying moments you've ever experienced. It's kind of like if you've ever played the classic Doom with the cheat that allows you to move through walls, when you walk into a wall, suddenly the texture of the wall is all that you can see until you walk back into a valid area. So as soon as you walk into the tree, you like see kind of the stretched texture of bark around you. You can feel nothing else. You can see nothing else. You can't smell anything else. Also, it feels like you can't breathe. You know, like you're you're momentarily cut off from all of your senses and flailing. And it is, I think, a terrifying moment. Terrifying enough. I'm going to give you two strain just for, like, the stress of going through that. All right. But when you emerge on the other side... 
you are in like another place in the woods you have managed to escape like this this clearing that you woke up in with your bed and you see on the ground something that belongs to your sister what is it something that belongs to zana yes i feel like it's a very specific hair tie it's um like it's a hair tie with like a like a it's like a bead that's been like carved to like in the shape of a beetle that just kind of dangles off of one end. It's a purple bead with gold fabric that's like tied to the rest of the hair tie. It's sort of like an aftermarket mod that I, John, <laughs> it was so messed, uh, angry to find out that Zana carved the beetle bead herself. Uh, <laughs> and it was her first try and it just worked out perfectly. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, he see, he sees that. I think it is caught in a tangle of branches that is in front of you uh, that are like sort of lacing over a rocky edifice, like like a, a, a huge sheer cliff face. It looks like Zana scaled this edifice. Uh, I'm sorry. Am I on the am I on the top or the bottom of this? You're you're on the bottom, like kind of looking up. You know, and I, I think like the hair tie is like caught in like some some vines and, and branches that are like kind of halfway up this edifice behind you. You know, you can see there is the tree behind you that you recognize. And, and looking back around it, you don't see the clearing that you were in. OK, I was about to ask if I saw my bed real quick, like super fast. Now that um, he's out, Jonnet is going to once again sort of call out Gable. Travis! Captain! And you just hear birds. The ambient sounds of wind blowing through leaves. A forest. Okay. If it's hap... All right. If if I'm out here, and we all went to sleep sorted together, then they're probably out here too. Which means Zana's probably out here. And he like... He like knocks on the face of the wall. That seems. And your hand goes through it. Ah, shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Never mind. I was like, ah, okay. All right. All right. Fine. <laughs> Forest. The branches and leaves swallow the echoes of your voice. All right. So, John, it like, John, it like gives a very stern, like, look at this inspection of this rock face he like we see him maybe like put his hand through it one more time he rubs his chin and then he's gonna like if Jonet does like a 180 degree turn what's in front of him what is the closest object in front of Jonet at his back if you if you, if you turn around facing away from the tree mm-hmm. or facing away from from the 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 rocky cliff yeah face, like that's big the tree. little like directly oh, okay. behind you is 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 the tree all right and so then actually he's going to he's going to go back to the to the tree that he just I guess walked through and he's going to try to not put his hand on that. I think that will be solid now. Okay. All right. All right. One more. He does 90 degrees. What's to his left? I think uh, uh, like yeah, so if the rocky edifice is north and the tree is south, mm-hmm. the other obvious exits are east and west uh-huh. and they appear to just be long stretches of trees that have gathered in front of like this kind of cliff face area 
John is going to see the, like the smallest kickable thing in front of him, and he's going to kick it as hard as he can. Okay. Okay. I need you to roll for this kick because uh-huh. I can see this breaking very bad for you. Oh, okay. Fun. <laughs> uh, all right. What are we? What are we doing? I think this has got to be a brawl. Yeah. You know? Brawl. And what am I rolling against? I'm gonna make it average. Okay. I think okay. it really depends on how your foot makes contact with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a full wash. Well, that's a situation where we turn to our friends, the luminaries. The luminaries. Luminaries. <laughs> okay, the children. That's pretty common that for Johnny, actually. Oh, that's right. We have that document mm, that yeah. tells us about all the luminary <laughs> Well, that, that might, it might be the newborn for John slightly more. But uh, yeah, that, that combination has definitely happened at least once. <laughs> okay. Consequence, inevitability, and eternity. Nothing was unobserved, and a reckoning is coming. This is interesting. I think, blessedly... The way that Jonnet chooses to kick this has some sense to it, in that he drives with his heel. I, I think it's just a rock mm-hmm. that Jonnet kicks. It could have, had this gone more negatively, uh, it could have broken your toe. I, I think, quite <laughs> honestly, just kicking something as hard there. as you can. Yeah. <laughs> but instead, you kick this, and the feeling that you have with your foot does not feel like a rock. It is still hard. It still offers resistance. But it's rigid. It is not as though this is an object that is, like, detached from the ground. Like, physical reality and your perception of it are just not lining up together right now. Is it, like, lighter than a rock? It's, like... It's painted to be a rock and just made out of styrofoam or foam core? It's odder than that. It is as though something more solid that looks like an individual rock is there. Almost like uh, somebody glued a rock to the ground. Okay, great. So then, like, yeah, he can't, like, he kicks it and then he actually, like, pushes himself back and is like, okay, all right, somebody put us here. Somebody is making this on the fly. All right. All right. Uh, And so then he turns back around to the wall face. And then I guess before he tries to like go through, he's going to try to like, like earth magic, like a a little bit of a, a jump so he can like try and grab that bead thing to see if that's real. This is fascinating to me. I guess I have a real question about how Jonnet's Earth magic works. When Jonnet casts a spell that moves the earth, is there something about the earth itself, ground, rock, and whatnot that you are specifically tapping into? Or are you just moving matter itself, if that makes sense? Um, I always thought that it was kind of on the moving matter side. It was like the we're we're he was it's not like we are like making contact with earth, like specifically I'm looking for stones and loose dirt. It's like, whatever's down here, I need it to be up. Okay. Okay. So what happens? I think I need you to roll this. Yep. 
This is, again, going to be hard, but it is an arcane check. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, am I still riding on any high from this uh, blood magic? This is- so, yeah, you know what? This is, I'm going to say, perception related. So we will give you the blue die for this. This is a very weird thing that's happening and also not a thing that I anticipated, which is cool. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so many empty faces. All right. Uh so that is one failure and one threat. Okay. You try to stretch out. Here's the thing. The thing that makes this really difficult is you use your awareness to try and move earth that you see in front of you and around you. You reach out magically to the universe through your your normal arcane power bolstered by your eye it is like the experience of walking up the stairs or down the stairs and you try to walk down or up a step that just isn't there you know you're not paying attention if you've ever had that experience Mm -hmm. you pass through in a way that you don't expect to and the effect the end effect is that it looks like the world in front of you is broken a little bit like th- things th- th- there is like a disturbance a ripple in it and then eventually things back and they, they resolve back into an image that makes sense to you again that feels like chromatic aberration where like red and green start to separate for a bit and then they like come back to like the full image and it's like alright I'm leaving it I'm leaving it uh, <laughs> and so he just like walks through the the the, the wall Excellent. Let's cut over to Oromar. Mm-hmm. Oromar, you are currently in Travis's body, and I believe where we last left you, you were hearing shouts and like sword clashes from something happening, you know, in the immediate distance. Yes. Oromar, waking up and not knowing where he was, but knowing that he was in Travis's body, had the notion that this is potentially where travis goes the human form of travis goes when he's changed being a changeling and not knowing how that works this notion has been very painfully disavowed now that he's managed to injure himself there is no reason why the space in between would let you disfigure the body after all travis comes back the same every time it wouldn't make sense if he could come back injured or missing a limb or something like that so this must now be somewhere else although that's not really uh his uh main concern the main concern is just dealing with the sheer sensory overload that oromar is currently going through while dead he managed to kind of get the understanding of his surroundings as almost just numerical input uh, passively and being able to interpret what those sensations the body was giving him. But now he's feeling everything all at once, including pain, not just sights and sounds and smells. And it is overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the thing that is coming through now is a sound. Sounds of voices, indistinct but familiar. And a sound that is, of course, extremely familiar. The sound of steel clashing against steel. Mm. Dragging himself now to his feet, 
the camera can kind of see that like the little finger on the right hand is already turning purple. He advances towards the tree line and says, too loud? Like he is shouting over the volume of the pain he's experiencing. Stand down, anybody who's fighting over there. Mm. God, it's hard to be commanding like this. Who, Who is there? And you kind of like push through there. The, there's like thick leaves in front of you. You, you know, cradling one arm, taking the other, like pulling them out of the way. And you step onto the deck of the Uhuru and there is no forest around you. What you see is a sky that is, is dark and night that has a red orange glow. The air around you is thick with smoke the noises are so much louder. You can hear shouts uh, 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 and musket fire cannons going off. And you can see uh, in front of you, there is like a bit of cargo piled up uh, against a contingent of red feather soldiers that are lined up firing upon it. There are people shouting orders and people fighting all around you behind this barrier you can see two very familiar faces. Calivar and Sifa ducked behind a barrier as Redfeather soldiers try to move around from the side to flank them, and the two of them are doing their best to hold them off. Uh, Calivar with lots of, of pistol fire um, drawing from his jacket, Sifa uh, using a spear and, and sword to sort of battle them back but the battle is frantic and desperate. Armar quickly manages to take kind of like stock of this information. His movements are actually kind of swaying, almost slurred. Is this man drunk? But manages to register that uh, the kind of like uh, potential allies, uh, but also the fact that calling out to them might be dangerous for them. So instead. He advances on one of the red feathers, maybe somebody who's kind of like firing shots back or something like that at the the cover that Calavar is handing behind as he instinctively goes to where his sword might sit. But this, that's not there. What, what would be uh, like at uh, Travis's like left hip, I guess? So thankfully we know that it is, Travis has a very fancy gun belt. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got these beautiful uh, pistols that are like custom. They, they are revolvers, they're four shot revolvers, but you also have this like tube with ammunition in it. That is an incredibly complex mechanical like bit of genius that you can take a speed loader and twist it to pull out four rounds and use it to load up your revolver. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it kind of looks like the the belts of coins that you might see mm-hmm. uh, some an arcade owner in, like, the 90s yeah, have. Yeah, 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 yeah. The hand instinctively goes to the hip and does not feel the hilt of the sword, but instead the elaborate but still very smooth and shiny gun of Travis's. Hmm. I think in one move, assuming 
that uh, Travis would keep it loaded, which might not necessarily be true. Um, he pulls the gun and in one swift movement, like it was uh, trained into him, just moves within almost point-blank range of the Red Feather and pulls the gun out behind his head and pulls the trigger in one smooth movement. Roll your attack. Absolutely. Um, this is going to be, I think, an easy roll. Mm. Like, this is somebody who's expecting a fight, but not expecting a fight from you. Mm-hmm. You're sort of, like, running out of thin air into this combat scene. Uh, easy is just one purple die. One yeah. purple, yeah. Travis's ranged light is three yellows and a green, so... Uh, Here's hoping. Okay. Oh my god, wow. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Dai. That is uh, zero <laughs> successes, but six mm. advantages. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. Unnecessary. I rolled the worst okay. result on that purple die. Thank you. Wow. Shooting as Travis Matago, we learned something important. That, you know, you you will have to unpack this kind of at an arcane level later on. You shoot at this person. It does not hit them. But the bullet, like we can see, flies past this person to the line of Red Feather soldiers shooting ahead and hits a barrel of gunpowder, which explodes ah. out... There are flames on the deck and the gunpowder catches those flames. So the barrel basically takes out this line that was kind of advancing on everyone, giving, you know, Sifa and Calivar, like not only do they get a minute to like clear their senses and, and, and they both spot you, but they, they can, the, the, the press is reduced. Like there's this moment to breathe in this very tense battle where they were about to be overwhelmed. Mm. There's a... A, a, a pause, which, you know, in the depth of combat is often fatal, but the surprise still takes him anyway. All right. Oromar? <sighs> we thought you had left. There's a there's a, a, a second pause is the fact that they recognize who it is correctly, considering I definitely don't look like Oromar. There is, yeah, we are behind Oromar's shoulder right now, and the camera does like this this zoom thing around where we cut, where we slowly rotate to a duel over the shoulder shot from the perspective of Sifa and Calivar, and we can see as like their bad bodies pass before Travis, it centers on Oromar, you know, as as we know Oromar, sort of. The difference being, and it's a subtle difference, the difference being that he is alive. Mm. And you're holding Travis's gun currently. And we can see very clearly that you do have a finger that is broken, mm-hmm. but you are you, oddly enough. Like, like you look down mm-hmm. and you now see familiar hands. I like the fact, and you can say no, depending. Mm-hmm. Um, because the time where um, Oromar has been emotionally close to Calivar and Sifa has been different points in his life, that point of his physical rendering is inconsistent. So he looks down at his hands and they just flicker between him being in his kind of like youthful age and his adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. It's plastic. 
this scene. Not that any of us know what plastic is. And he... His hands swim in front of his eyes, and then they resolutely clench. There's a wince, the finger still hurts. So you... Like, 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 there is this moment before you, you hear ahead of you, like, a call for another charge. Uh, the call is somewhat indistinct. It is a loud and gruff voice that, like, cuts through some of the chaos, followed by a battle cry. Like, it is familiar, but it's hard to tell why it's familiar. There's a lot that you're processing right now. But, but like, with that in mind, w- what do you do? I think Oromar starts to rapidly advance towards the pair, potentially pushing, just shoving red feathers out of the way. I don't understand why this is happening, but we need to form together. Between the three of us, we can solve, understand. <sighs> don't bother me. Bang! Out of the side. Of something. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. I need you... <laughs> I need you to make an attack roll. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think you do get to act first based on the the thing that that happened. And I gave I realize I gave you like kind of a critical success result. It's just five advantages with so many of you know I couldn't think of another way. It's to... fine. Uh, things could potentially get immediately much worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. I also love the idea that like in some way, shape, or form, Travis has guns that kind of work in a way that is implicit to like only tra- like they're off like by three degrees or something but travis <laughs> knows that but other people don't mm. <laughs> so if somebody steals his gun they don't fire correctly yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. who has yeah. the time to get them recalibrated <laughs> <laughs> you can adjust your side or you can adjust the way you shoot mm. <laughs> all right what am i rolling against so this is an average roll. This is like a basic attack roll. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. uh, there is just an onslaught of red feather soldiers. Like I think there is a moment, like after you 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 call for this whatnot, like there is the boom of like a coordinated attack. You can see part of the cover that you're on like splinter off and explode. Mm-hmm. And you always know after a line of shots or maybe a volley of shots is like. Red feather carbines usually have like like three or four shots in them. Uh, w- once you've held against that, there is a charge where they move forward with swords and bayonets. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That is the training, and that's how the training has always been. And now, since we know how we play by the book, we can play against the book. All right. Uh, better. That is three successes and two advantages. Okay. So, yeah, three successes, two advantages. Do you uh, see the damage on Travis's gun? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is kind of like, okay, we've taken the first shot. Uh, we get, you know, the Oromar Vale who isn't having to self-adjust for his physical circumstances and he's kind of now calculated this drift on the gun. And I think there is just uh, three quick cuts of a Calavar shot, a Sifa stab, and an Oromar shot, followed by similar quick cuts of three red feathers just immediately falling. And quite, I think, even compared to how the show does a surprisingly 
visceral way. There is much more uh, blood and skull fracture than what <laughs> graphically the show does. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like not fun. What is the damage of that? Ooh, what is the the damage, the damage of on Travis's gun. gun? Let me look, since I can. Uh, this slug pistol is six damage. Six damage. Okay, so that's eight overall. Okay, that's a good shot. Yeah. What happens is just this moment of fighting in pure coordination. Sifa and Calivar are two people whom you have fought alongside your whole life. Basically, from from your teenage years on, in tense moments, almost always one of them was next to you, facing impossible dangers together. And it feels like picking it up, it feels as though you had never left, and you are fighting in different styles of fighting that you have gone through throughout your entire life. Mm. It all kind of blends together with, with the you know, strange, fluid quality of a dream. But you cut through an impressive amount of soldiers together. Smoke is still clearing, but bodies litter your sides left and right. You are trying to fight through an advance. You can see the top deck of the Uhuru in front of you um, as you make your ways to the stairs. You know, advancing forward, cutting down red feathers, and then ducking behind various pillars and whatnot for cover as they return volley with fire. They they do shoot back at you Mm -hmm. um, as you move forward, and you you have seven damage coming at you minus your soak. Okay. Travis certainly has a soak value of one. Couldn't be me. Uh, <laughs> except it is me now. I, you know, some people prioritize comfort. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think. I think. Because it's fun to do in the narrative. This illusion has made, for the moment, Travis forget. Travis has made Oromar forget the circumstances that he's in and that he's not Oromar. So he's going to do this like he would normally do back in the day and roll with resilience to block it, which is just a single green. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't necessarily, he's not thinking about, you know, what the other body would necessarily be good at. Well, so no, you, the, the the way damage is assessed, you don't need to roll anything. Ah, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but like, I, I just want to make sure that you noted that numerical damage. And I think the thing that you discover mm-hmm. about it, like as you you get grazed by bullets and whatnot, mm. you are feeling pain and shock for the mm. first time in months, and you're you're feeling it in a body that is not yours even though you're perceiving it as yours right now the whole thing is extremely disorienting and distracting during a very tense fight like this but as as you make it to like very nearby the top deck where the three of you are ducked behind uh like like some barrels and bags um you can see, like, looking off to the sides, um, looking out over the sides of the ship, beneath you, there is now a very familiar landscape that, that you recognize. It took a while to settle in your mind. You are floating over Bendar. The orange-red glow is a glow of flames. 
This is a moment from your memory. The burning of Bandari. You can see skyships across the horizon rising with red feather colors. You can see cannons blasting. You know that when you saw this last, you were much younger. Sifo wasn't here, not as you recall. And and Calivar, Calivar looked different too. It's, it's hard for all of it to register. Mm. You were snapped out of that memory in a second as Sifa calls. He's up there. He's, he's waiting. One of us needs to go. As she says this, grappling hooks fall onto the deck of the Uhuru and pull tight against the banisters. You can see two sky ships on either side tight as red feather soldiers start to swing over on these grapples where two of us are gonna have to stay and fight Ormar, you have to do it you have to go after him. leave us here and go Ormar is i think they look to Ormar and see him kind of pulling at his own body this he is genuinely having a, a body dysmorphic episode yeah. right now. <laughs> a, um, a, a truly wild one. Mm, and it's like, this is wrong. This feels wrong. I want to just tear all of this apart. Uh, he kind of sees like a building kind of fall down in the background, reduced to ashes. Tear all of it apart. I can't, I can't leave you both. I, 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 I can't, I, I can't tear you both away from me as well. I'll fight, I'll fight, I'll fight a hundred, I'll fight two hundred red feather men before I succumb. I've died once before. As you say this, the red feathers press on either side. Sifa moves forward with her sword to meet theirs. Calivar draws a sword and and fights a- a- alongside to, to, to meet like a- a- another contingent of soldiers. That Sifa goes, we'll fight, we'll take care of them for you. You need to focus on the mission and go. And you are left with three choices. There is the contingent of soldiers that Calivar is fighting on one side. The contingent that Sifa is fighting on another. And behind you, Stairs. Stairs where, behind smoke, behind the chaos of battle, the the blasting of cannons, the, the firing of pistols and rifles, you hear a voice that coalesces to be now solidly familiar in your mind. The voice of Captain Slate. The man who you once served under in the Red Feather Armada. The man who you deposed to take command of the Uhuru in the first place. You could face him as well. Oromar looks to Kalavar. Kalavar, who through so many missions has been just as driven, if not more driven than Oromar sometimes in getting the job done. Oromar turns to Sifa, the person whose sheer 
charisma and dedication to family and culture has helped her and so many other people thrive and survive where his history has not. Both of them would be able to continue things where he might not even be able to in the current state that he's in. And then he hears the voice of his ex-superior and he just turns around and looks up the stairs. A face so neutral, you wonder if there is even a face to the shell that is moving around this ghost of a pirate ship at all. Yeah, you can see him now at the top of the stairs through the flames. And your three choices are very clear. Mm -hmm. Skyjacks. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. You can stream his short film, Lining, on the Roku channel for free. Just search for The Shortlist, Summer. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at Phantom Arts ENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast, Neo Scum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. And once for our friends ne'er to rise Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky